Praise the Lord. Good morning, all. If you're turning your Bibles to the book of Judges, for those of you who are here for the first time, we're working our way through each book of the Bible, and we've progressed thus far to the book of Judges. And it's an exciting, if somewhat controversial, topic this morning. Um, we're talking about demons. <laughs> Don't leave. Praise the Lord. The book of Judges in chapter 1. The book of Judges and the book of Ruth are actually the same book. They were divided by men, but they were originally the same book, the same piece of writing. And the story of Judges is really what we would call in modern terms a story of demon possession or the, de the, the demonic interfering in life. Now, if you go around the world, interaction and understanding with demons is very different, right? Here in Britain, if you like, and in the white world, you don't hear maybe as much about it as you would in Africa. In certain parts of, although that's changing, in certain parts of Africa, the understanding of the demonic or manifestations are much more common. Let me hear this. Listen to this. I overseen an African church in Dublin for about six, seven years. And most of those guys came from Congo, from Zaire, just after the war. And they came in from mixed backgrounds. Many got saved. And this one day, it was in the early stages, there was about 200 people in the church hall. And I, was, I turned up late and I went and I sat in the middle of the crowd. Listen to this. I sat, well actually I stood up, I was in the middle of praise and worship. As I began to praise God, this person had a demonic manifestation. Now I'm in the middle of a big crowd. This person, that person, that person, and that all four manifest around me. There was like fits and contortions and all sorts of things. And I called that pastor. So you can stop the meeting now. But so many people had come in from voodoo, from all sorts of backgrounds, and had arrived in Dublin. And man, it was pretty obvious we had a job to do. Now, demons differ as well. I mean, in Africa, you may have, you know, the voodoo type thing. Whereas in the West, they can be much more subtle. Just fly below the radar. But if you think that demons are not involved in Glasgow or in the UK, you're crazy. Now, Judges is a book that kind of, it could apply to any age, any generation. And it's really potentially your story for both victory and for defeat. And it goes like this. If you follow God and obey God, your life turns into a road, a highway. A, you've got vision, you've got direction, you've got an aim. But once you stop obeying God, life turns into a, a roundabout. And you just go around the same old, same old, and it becomes boring, and you've lost your way, and you don't know where you're going. And that's really the story of this book. Because seven times... God delivered them from terrible oppression and seven times they went straight back on the roundabout. Over and over, he sent them a deliverance. Now, forget about the church. The churches are fine, folks. The church is fine. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life. Are you on a road? Or are you on that perpetual roundabout? Right? Now, if you look through the different judges that God sent to deliver the nation, you will see 
that over and over the, the, the people of Israel consistently put the blame in the wrong place. And one of the primary success factors in any war is you've got to know who the enemy is. Would you agree? You've got to know who you're fighting, right? You've got to know who's on your side and who's against you. I saw a fight in, in the street once. And I intervened. Now, it's kind of a scary thing to do, but this one guy looked to me like he was going to beat the living daylights out of these other two guys. So I was frightened for them. But he was so, he was an incredibly good fighter. He knocked them both unconscious. And they were on the ground. And he was starting to lay. So I went over and intervened. I said, leave him alone, get back, you know. And he did. He ran away. And I went to help the guy on the ground. And as he began to come to, guess what he did? Exactly. He went to hit me. I thought, I'm on your side, stupid. I actually took off because I thought, okay, I'm going to get a hiding here that didn't touch anybody. In any battle, in any war, if you don't know who you're fighting, you're going to make mistakes, big mistakes. And you're never going to win that way. Jeanette is not my enemy. Well, not all the time. <laughs> Jeanette is not my enemy. My overseers are not my enemy. How stupid would you be? Talk about eating the devil's plate of food he would give you. How, how much of an idiot would I be to turn against the strength that God has given me in my wife or the oversight that God has given me in those over me? What sort of an idiot would I be to think like that or to let those things enter my mind? That's one sure way to get yourself on a roundabout. You can say amen there. Stupid. And the Bible's very clear about who your enemy is. Who's your enemy? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Three different things. And we're supposed to go through life with a very clear understanding of the opposition we face, with a very clear understanding of where our strength comes from, by close allegiance with the support systems, the church, etc., that God has given to us, and faithfulness and loyalty there. And by sheer aggression, let not the sun go down in your anger. You know, it's always misinterpreted, that scripture. It means don't get passive with the devil. That's what that scripture means. Always be angry at the devil. That's what it means. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. It doesn't mean, you know, so much go to bed and put everything. That's not it. It means always keep an aggression against the devil and his work in your mind, which is where he mostly works, right? Mind games and in your life. But the, the book of Judges is fascinating for this reason. It's a story of deliverance and occupation seven times over. Wow! Where God set them free and they, they deliberately went into occupation again. Then he set them free and they deliberately went into occupation again. So I need to be able to look at the problems in my life and I need to be able to discern, is this the world, the flesh, or the devil? And friends, I'm not just saying this because it's Sunday and it's sermon time. I'm saying it because it's something I do every day, right? Particularly working with leaders. For example, working with pastors. You can work with, I'll work with pastors very happily who are worldly. I'll work with you very happily if you're worldly. Lots of worldly people around in churches. No problem. I will work with pastors who've got a flesh problem. No problem. It's the devil bit. <laughs> That's what you can't work with. You can work with the world and you'll find it okay. 
You can work with the flesh, and it's pretty okay. But you cannot work with the devil. Right? Don't get into debates or arguments. And we'll deal with it in a minute. But how do you tell the difference? Well, very easily. You tell the difference by how you feel, by my gut feeling. So when I'm with people and, and they're asking for a job or want to start a church, it's one of the things I would always be keen to look for. How do I feel? How's my gut feeling with this person? Is this, and if it's just a worldly issue, you see, friends, the world is easy to see in people. The flesh is easy to see. But the demonic, not so easy. And its influences and its manifestations, so much more diverse in people's lives. Listen to me, please. Everybody look up here. Listen carefully. Do you know what the problem is with many Christians? They overcome the world but not the devil. Or they overcome the devil, but not the world. Or they overcome the flesh, but not the devil. And the Bible's very clear. You need to overcome all three. Those who overcome the flesh can become very proud. <laughs> you know what I mean? Spirit of pride. So they're defeated by the devil, etc., etc. And we, we could spend a week just there, right? But we need to overcome all three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you'll find with different Christians that different Christians see things differently and go often to extremes. I, I, I shared with you before um, two instances I had that were extremes. In one case, we were giving this particular outreach, which was very difficult. It was in a dreadful area, a bit like Puzzle Park, you know, in its bad days, worst days, a bit like that. We had this outreach there, and these two ladies were going to take it over. Flesh problem? No. Lovely ladies. World problem? No. No problem with the world. They just didn't recognize the devil. And I could see that if we put them in there, and they tried to do this work, I could see that they just had no idea of what they were getting into, and they were going to be damaged. And I had a, a word with them, and I said, listen, guys, it's pretty obvious to me when you're walking in here five minutes before the center opens, that you haven't got a clue about what the kingdom involves or you know, what it entails to actually do anything in life or do anything in the kingdom. And they sort of laughed at me and sort of thought, yes, yes, just be quiet. I'm not being hyper-spiritual. I'm just giving you the reality of it. Now, both of those women crashed out of ministry severely, terribly. One lost her marriage and the other went really out of her mind. That's one extreme where you can live and there's no binding of the devil in your life. You can go through weeks or months or even years with no discernment about the origin of the problems that you're facing and then wonder why things go you know, drastically wrong after a period of time. Or the other extreme, they ignore the devil. The other extreme is seeing the devil behind every bush, right? And I, I can't stand that, actually. Remember, I told you about Stephen Gawkroger, who's one of the leading Baptists in this country. His little kid was running out on the road. And he said to her, don't you go out on the road. I'm telling you not to go, go, you know, go across the road. She went out again. She said, don't go out on the road. I'm telling you don't go out on the road. She went out again. So he sat her down and he said, why did you do that? And the little girl, she's brought up in the church, thinks and she thinks, the devil made me do it. Yeah, right. I'm sure. You get extremes. And we can blame the devil for everything. We can see the devil behind every bush. Or you can just completely ignore him. And they're both wrong. Because the fact is, he's active. 
even if we are not. And you need to be praying, Lord, deliver who? Me. It's the Our Father. Who, who should pray the Our Father? Believers. Our Father. It's a prayer for believers. Our Father. And what's the sixth line? Deliver me. Deliver me. And many hyper-spiritual Christians will say, well, I've got no problem with the devil. Well, if you've got no problem with the devil, why did Jesus tell you, and I believe it's daily, why did Jesus tell you to pray for deliverance from the evil one, believer? Our Father, deliver us from the evil one. And that's our topic today. It's all the more important, folks, because it's the last days. Question. Are the same number of demons on the earth today as were in, in Genesis? No. Why? Because in the last days, the book of Revelation tells us that, you know, dungeons, as it puts it, are opened. And more and more demons are released into the earth in the last days. And, you, and they're worse than the first lot. So everything we have seen thus far will get worse and the, the earth will be plunged into deeper and deeper war, spiritual warfare on these issues. So you, end times believer, should be more tuned in, amen, you should be more tuned in than any previous generation. You should be more aware of what's happening around you because new types of demon will be released into the earth. In fact, Everson, that's something we could ask on Sunday. Are there any demons here for the first time? Amen. Praise the Lord. Only joking. <laughs> but there are demons around. There are new types of thing happening in the world every day. I mean, look at Norway. Did you see what happened in Norway? This is a, this is a modern phenomenon. Like in the last few, maybe decades, these mass murderers, guys go out and... Crazy stuff, eh? Crazy stuff, unbelievable stuff, madness. But demons will be released in the last days, so all the more that you should be aware of this. I'm not going to go into it in any great detail because we have dealt with this many times. We've looked at it many times. Best way to understand it is everything God does, the devil copies. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. Holy Trinity, evil Trinity. 777-666. Everything's copied. Okay? God has order. He has authority. God the Father in terms of salvation and the outworking of it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's angels in terms of power. And then in terms of authority, there's the church, apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists. And then the church. The devil has a similar structure. Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet. And then you have, you know, demons and spirits. And these things have different levels of authority, just like God has in his kingdom. The devil's trying to mimic the kingdom. Now look, folks, if you get an apostle, the apostle can deal with certain demonic forces at that level. When you get a member, the, the member can deal with certain issues. But when you try to punch above your weight, what happens? You tend to get hit. So you need to know what you're doing. Now, I've had many cases of this. 
Especially as a young minister, you can think you're Superman, you know. Especially when you drive out a few demons. I remember one guy rang me up and he said, I've got a demon. I need deliverance. I need it now. Can I come and see you? A uh, big problem. I said, yeah, come straight on over. And I brought him over to my place. I talked to him, understood his situation. And at a certain point, I thought, I'm going to deliver you. I said, stand up a minute. Come here. And I, I, I didn't even get to, to, to touch him, to lay hands on him. And he vomited all over my floor. I thought, next time we're going to do this in your house. See how you like it. <laughs> vomited all over the place. It was absolutely horrific. It was awful. It was terrible. But that was quite easy. So you see, I'm an apostle, and here I am dealing with what is probably a spirit. So it was easy. No problem, no contest of authority. Another lady came to us, stood up in the middle of a meeting actually, and said, I've got a demon, I need help. I need help. And she hardly ever spoke, but on this occasion she spoke. And we were able to drive that demon out. Difficult? No, it was quite easy. Another guy came forward in a meeting and a, a long way off, I, I could sense a spirit of anger was in him. And again, I didn't get near him. I just eyeballed him and I thought, I, there's a spirit gone. He hit back. He tried to sue me actually, but <laughs> there's another spirit in there as well, eh? With my own brother. My own brother, chronic alcoholic, 10 years. He was in an institution and this, that, and the other. Terrible case rang me up one day drunk and said i need to happen to me what happened to you so i told him come straight to where he was in belfast i was in dublin come straight to me right now and he did i put him up and he was a real mocker you know he used to sit at the back of the church and mock me laugh at me when i was preaching and stuff and during one altar call he started to walk down the aisle i tell you what the anger of god do not let the sun go down in your anger I just screamed at that demon and bang. How many years ago was that, kid? Ten? And from that day to this day, I think he backslid one week, right? When he went back in the booze, but then he didn't bother. One week in ten years, not bad. You can say amen. Do you know I could even smell that demon? I could smell it as I drove it from him. But it left him. Easy? Yeah, it was easy. It was easy. But then we had other cases where I couldn't cope because the authority level was different. We had this one guy who had, a, he had made a pact actually with an angel, with a demonic angel, and had given his life over. We could not deliver that guy no matter what we did. But there was a demon in him. In fact, I brought in an expert from Africa, uh, Pastor Kenyaki. We flew him in because we were determined that the devil wasn't going to get one over on us with this guy and we flew this expert in well he couldn't do anything uh, except find a tattoo that we didn't know was there but that was about it you know and that guy we still did not succeed i'm just saying folks you will encounter demons and they will be of different levels some of them you can deal with not a problem you need to know your weight you need to know your power level don't get proud don't get lofty and remember what the church is here for right sometimes you're going to need help sometimes you're going to have to call the pastors and maybe they'll have to find people who know how to deal with certain things so my advice to you is don't punch above your weight don't think more highly of yourself than you ought or you will go down elijah learned that lesson remember elijah had the prophets of baal he was on it they were actually a lower level i think than elijah and elijah was able to knock him out remember 
And then he thinks he's Superman until Jezebel says one word, one word from a woman. And Elijah's down and out and wants to kill himself. Do you remember? How is this the same guy who yesterday defeated 50 demons? Is this the same guy who now today, when one message from one woman sends you, you leave your ministry, you go out and you say, I want to die. What's changed, Elijah? What happened that conqueror? And of course, the answer is very simple. Jezebel was operating under a principality, under a power, a force that Elijah did not alone have the authority to deal with. Okay, this couple who were not a good couple, they were proud and a bit stupid, rang me up one day and the husband said to me, we're going to go home and we're going to bind Satan. You know, and I, because I knew the couple, I said, you know what, I don't want you to do that. But again, he's kind of mocking me and said, oh, you know, yes, Pastor Mike, yes, Pastor Mike. He went home and did it and I got a phone call many hours later saying that as they prayed, his wife fell into an epileptic fit on the floor and he vomited. Now, this really happened, folks. This is two of our members in Dublin. I, I told you, you're trying to punch above your weight, getting you know, somewhat hyper-spiritual. You don't have a grip on reality here. Okay? And I'm just saying, folks, as, as things go by, as the years go by, and, and we find ourselves, as we do, being trusted to be an end times believer, this is one of the things you need, to be, you need to know about. If you're going to be faithful, which is something I'm passionate about, living as an end times believer, what does God expect of me? God asked me that question personally as I was preaching, remember? I've had that said to me by God as I was preaching in Ireland in the middle of a message, out of the sky, out of the blue, what are you doing in light of the fact that I'm coming back. Wow. And that's why we wrote that book, Vantage Point, giving the top 10 things that God told the end times church to be and to do. Well, this is number 11, right? That we should be aware of the demonic realm, maybe more than any prior generation. Where do all these things come from? Again, we've covered this in detail in the past, so I'm not going to go into it, but there's plenty of people here who have joined us recently. So just very briefly, for you to understand the angelic realm or the spiritual realm even a little bit. Paul talks about a man, he's talking about himself, he's talking about a man he knows who was taken up into the third heaven. Third heaven? What's the third heaven? Does that mean there's a second heaven and a first heaven? Yes, well the Jews thought of it as seven levels of heaven, but Paul simplifies it a little bit of Greek there into three levels of heaven. And it's basically like this, the first heaven is this. Remember, Jesus said, you know, if God's with a small g, okay? When he put Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was going to be as the God of this world, small g, the one with dominion, the one with authority. And this was supposed to be a type of heaven, the first heaven. Then there's the second heaven. And this is the place out there in space, the manifest universe as we see it. This is the place where angels war. We, we call it war in the heavenlies. And it's space, and as man begins to look at that and understand it, there's an awful lot happening up there, but that's where the angels fight, if you like, Lucifer and Michael, all that sort of stuff. And then ultimately the third heaven where no one has yet been, 
is where God himself dwells. And we find ourselves here on earth with a place of authority, but not as much power as the, as the devil because he's still an angel in terms of power. We find ourselves here with authority in the name of Jesus, the name that is above all other names. You see, we will look at this briefly this morning, but we could spend months, years on this, folks. Listen to me, please. The devil's not afraid of you. He never was, and he never will be. I'll tell you something else. The devil has defeated you. Every one of you and every Christian, every human being on this earth has been defeated by him. There's only one person that defeated the devil the other way around, and that was Jesus Christ. And there's only one person and one name in which he has that fear, and it's not yours. Now, in the book of Acts, it says, you know, Paul, I know. That's because Paul knew Jesus, amen. That's because Paul knew the authority he had, not because of anything that Paul himself was. I think he makes that clear. So there's only one person that the devil's afraid of. And it's not you, and it's not me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he and he alone defeated Satan, and he and he alone today rules and reigns. Listen to me. The only way that you will ever get victory over the devil is when you start to believe that. And you start to use the word of God to defeat the devil by applying it, by believing in it, right? And it gets a bit scary when you work a lot with young ministers. Young ministers, like I was sharing earlier, when you get some victories, when you see it work, you, you, can, start to you can start to become self-confident. And it's a big mistake. Because you think it's something to do with you. Well, it isn't. It's actually only a fresh faith, if you like, in Jesus Christ. And you need to keep that faith living and active. Because that's what defeats the devil. If the devil looks at you and sees that your faith is in yourself, or your faith is in your faith, then he's not afraid of you at all. But I believe the devil is very much afraid of any of you who believe in Jesus Christ and who believe in his power and who believe that he's on your side. You know, we had a property business for, for many years. And every now and again, you get someone who sits in your house and doesn't pay any rent, a squatter, you know. We had two of them, absolutely terrible experience to go through. This one lady moved in, didn't pay a penny rent, and sat in that house, and we used management team to look after the properties for us at that time. And this lady was experienced at what she was doing. She knew exactly what she was doing. I think that's how she lived. She knew it would take us about six months to get her out, and then she'd just move and do it again. But they sent all sorts of people around, you know, good cop, bad cop, the management guys did. And after they'd done, they'd done this, they told me what they did. They sent in nice guys to try and mediate. She wouldn't pay the rent. And then they sent in Arthur. Arthur. <laughs> I think Arthur was a big, burly bloke who goes in and tries to put pressure. She wouldn't pay a penny. That woman, listen to this, folks. That woman was waiting, not for us. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. She wasn't afraid of me. She wasn't afraid of the management. She wasn't afraid of the landlords. 
She was waiting for the one thing that she knew she had no authority over. She was waiting for the word from the government. And to my shock, the woman who was not defeated by any threat, by any person, was defeated by a little word on a piece of paper that came through her letterbox. Ah, eviction notice. It's time to go. And out she peaceably went. And I tell you, I learned a lesson that day about this, about the Word of God. You can shout and holler and scream all you want, but I got to remember the devil's not afraid of me. And he's not afraid of you. There's only one that he is afraid of, and that's Jesus Christ and his Word. And when I approach the devil with whatever he tries to do, with faith in that, of course I'm going to get victory. Amen. And we need a revival of this in our minds in every way so that we can see victory in the world, in the flesh, and in the devil. You will hear Pui and the others talking about the LIW, life in the Word, and maybe you've never experienced what that is. Well, it's teaching at a very deep level. Level 3, this is from. That's the one that we're just starting. And this will give you a little foretaste of the type of teaching that goes on within those classes and might cause you to sign up if you're wise. Look, folks, you know this topic. There's some topics I don't like to bring up unless I can close up. How would, you go, how would you like to go to a surgeon who was going to do an operation on you and he said, I can open you up, but I'm not too good at that closing up bit, right? Well, this topic and many other topics are like that. I don't want to bring this topic up and let you leave this place with fear of the wrong sort. I want to bring it up and close you up. And that's why I've given you these notes and maybe the cell leaders can go back over this in the cell groups. But I'll just skim over the top of these to give you an idea of the, the whole theology around demons and deliverance and that whole area, because that's what the book of Judges is actually all about. So I'll just touch on the headings and make comments as we go through it. This is level one in level, lesson one in level three of Life in the Word, the LIW class. Point one is just explaining to us the existence of demons. As I mentioned earlier, some people live at extremes. They don't believe in devils. They don't think they're going to be affected by devils. And they're the very people who get affected, of course, without them even knowing it. Devils exist, all right. They're all through Scripture. Just out of interest, let's have a little bit of show of hands here this morning. Have you seen a demon or had interaction with a demon? Put your hand up. Not even half. Wow. Can I tell you something? You have had interaction with a demon. You maybe didn't know it, and maybe that thing was very well disguised, but you have had interaction with demons maybe even every day of your life, in work, in college, in school, when you go to pray, and you find that your mind is befuddled or you can't concentrate, when you get thoughts, wrong thoughts, you can come under Paul calls them fiery darts. Believe me, every person can raise their hand. And say that I have had problems with this. Because you have. And I, I, I rest my case. Peter, I rest my case. I prove my point. That you don't, you need to realize that you do have issues here that you need to face. Listen to this. This Catholic lady, she's, her son calls up and he says, I'm coming home for dinner, lunchtime. And uh, he, she says, okay. She starts cooking his dinner. And as she's cooking the dinner, outside she hears, bam, crash. Oh, somebody's been hurt. 
carries on cooking the dinner and not long, it's your son. She goes out and her son is dead, killed outside their house. And she was utterly distraught. She was a Catholic and she actually doesn't get over it. And what she does is she leaves her son's room just the way it is. Everything stays the same, doesn't move anything. And every night she would make tea and she would go into his bedroom and she would sit and talk to him. And she was a cleaner. She had a job as a cleaner in Dublin city center. And in the room, as she was talking to her son, inverted commas, a blue light, a blue light began to appear in the room. But she didn't tell anybody. It was just there. And she would talk to her son. And then she would go into work. And after a little bit of time, guess what? Some of the other workers looked. And when they were looking at her, they could see a blue light. And they got frightened. And in fact, two of them left. They said, I'm not going back there. That woman's weird. There's something going on with her. She was a Catholic and she went to her priest. And she said, look, there's something happening. Manifestation. There's something happening in my house. There's something happening in my work. What is this? And the first priest went and prayed and did their stuff. The blue light was still there. Second priest went and nothing was working. And one day they rang me up and they said, would you come and talk with this woman? And I went to the house and she explained the whole story. And I remember sitting her down. I felt so sorry for her. But I had to explain to her, listen dear, you're not talking to your son. Because there's a great chasm between heaven and hell and the, you know, Sheol, the realm of departed spirits. You're actually talking to a spirit, a demon. We call them familiar spirits. You're not talking to your son. That's the first thing I want you to realize. The second thing I want you to realize is you're breaking God's law. You're communicating with the dead. And the third thing and the most painful thing that you and I are going to do is today you are going to promise God that you will never speak to your son again. And when you hold to that commitment, we will clear his room out and you will find peace and freedom. And wherever your son is, may he rest in peace without you trying to call up his spirit. And you know that lady, I didn't know whether she was going to hit me, throw me out, but she actually thought in silence for a little while and she said, thank God that someone was willing to tell me the truth. And people were too frightened to hurt me, tell me not to talk to my son. Thank you for telling me the truth. And that's what she did. Now you see, when you see an experience like that, or you go through an experience, now you believe in demons. Because you've actually seen a manifestation. Point one on your notes, the existence of demons, folks. Don't be fooled. Demons are, I mean, they are everywhere. All around the world, in all countries, in all nations. And we war against them, the Bible says. Their origin, point two on page one. Page one, point two. The origin of demons... Different cultures have a different approach to this, and a lot of them can be wrong. Demons originated in, in the heavenly realms with Satan. When Satan rebelled against God, he fell, and the Bible tells us that he took a third of heaven. We don't know how many that is, because we don't know what the population was. We just know it was a third. A third of heaven rebelled and were thrown down onto the earth with Satan, and that's where the demons are. Some of them were locked up, as we say, to be released in the last days. Page two, please. Top of the page, Roman numeral three, talks about the nature of demons. And this is something you need to understand. 
Demons are said to have intelligence, they are said to have emotions, and they are said to have a will. What do we mean by intelligence? Let me give you another example. I went to a very large event in Dublin. There's hundreds of people there. I actually arrived late. I was with Pastor Rick Seward, and we sneaked in and sat down in the middle of the crowd, and we didn't know the speaker. I had never met this lady, but she stood up to speak. You know the first thing she did? First thing she did, she stood up and she pointed me out in the crowd. You stand up. You're a mighty man of God. The Spirit of God is in you. And you know what? The people started clapping. I didn't witness from the moment she opened her mouth. You, my dear, are a flatterer. You are a flatterer. And what you're saying sounds real good. But it doesn't matter what you're saying because right now I don't feel good at all. And at the end of that meeting, she had a whole troop of events, and I actually got them all cancelled. So she's probably going to thump me next time she sees me. But that was not a good lady. In fact, Jeanette, when she met her, she thought, man, this is real bad stuff. Good person, but I believe was under some form of, of demonic oppression myself. But, and especially when I found out who invited her. I won't go there. But believe me, that was one crackpot who invited her. And when I found that, I thought, man, I was right. I knew it. But see, look, folks, I believe that lady, and she was born again, but I think she was under a a, a demonic oppression. There's a lot of witchcraft in Ireland. Listen, she knew me. She knew me. Point one, intelligence. Demons have intelligence. She was able to stand up and pull you out of the crowd thinking, you know who I am. That's right. I do know who you are. And she was able to see that intelligence, spirits, demons, and that's what you see all the way through the book of Acts, right? Demons have emotions and they have a will. Skipping down to the part of the, the, the bottom point C, page two, bottom of the page. They are invisible, but they are capable of manifestation. And they can manifest in various ways. I have seen one particular demon I saw very clearly, very clearly. And it was like the shape of an armadillo. You know an armadillo? I don't know why, but it was. And it was that sort of shape, and it, it, it left the place, you know. We drove it out of a lady, and it left the building. And I'll never forget that, as long as I live. What an experience. Because it wasn't just a deliverance. It was the whole feeling, the spirit of it. God, oh, the compassion of it for a demon, yeah. The compassion. Do not rejoice, Jesus says, that demons submit to you. Don't rejoice. And I tell you, when I, when I delivered that lady, I didn't rejoice or dance on Satan's head the way you see some idiots. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. I forbid you to rejoice that demons submit to you. You don't rejoice in that. The book of Ezekiel, God says, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. Take no delight. And you need to understand this, folks. You know when Jesus was delivering demons, when he was driving them out, he wasn't laughing about it. Because it's a necessity. It's not a desire. It's something I have to do, like disciplining your child. How many people enjoy disciplining your child? You feel worse than the child, amen? Makes you feel terrible terrible, sick to your gut. And I tell you, maybe you haven't delivered demons. Well, I have. And I've done it in the right spirit. I've done it knowing that this is a necessity. I need to drive this thing out, but I take no delight in the death of the wicked. I take no joy that demons are tortured in hell. Rather, I rejoice that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. 
That's the kind of spirit Jesus warned us to be careful of so that you can continue in this type of ministry. Page 3. Page 3, Roman numeral 2. How do we recognize demons or where do we see them? Well, they're very obvious, particularly they promote rebellion. You know, when people tell you to rebel against the church or your husband or whatever. Promoting rebellion, promoting slander, gossip is, a, is an evil thing, man. The cancer of the church, we call it. Don't let your tongue be used in that because it can open the door to demons. Promoting idolatry, rejecting grace. Page 4. Opposition to the church, of course, opposition to, to saints. The Bible, uh, the devil's called the accuser of the brethren, right? The accuser of the brethren. He comes to, again, fiery darts to put you down and to accuse you of anything and everything he possibly can. Page five in your notes there. It talks about the types of spirit and how they manifest in dumbness, in blindness, in deformity, in epilepsy. You notice that the person isn't dumb, folks. You notice that the person's not deaf. It's the spirit that's deaf. You understand? Jesus would drive out a deaf spirit. He would drive out a, a dumb spirit, right? That had entered the person and causing them to be deaf. The spirit is, and that's just a list of different manifestations. And then you've got the mental illness side. And we get more questions about this than anything else. Uh, this is also a very you know, difficult subject to handle. Are all people who are mentally ill demon-possessed? I worked in a mental hospital for many years, and this was my world. Are all people, you know, with schizophrenia and all those things, are they all demon-possessed? Is that what it is? Is it demons? Well, I tell you what, when you, worked on, <laughs> when you work in some of those wards, you could be forgiven for thinking so. Look, if I cut myself and blood comes out, you know what happens? A fly. Straight to the wound. Anywhere where there's hurt, or, or blood, in will come the infection. So people say, well, are all people with a mental illness, are they demonized? Is that what it is? No, hang on a minute. Many mental illnesses are caused by chemicals that are lacking in the brain. But when the person's damaged, demons come and take advantage of that hurt, take advantage of that brokenness, and enter often into a person who's already debilitated. Do you follow me? It's important because I don't want you to judge the mentally ill. I have a real soft spot in that area. That's why, why I worked in that field for so long. But oh, it's, it's a sad area. It's a sad, sad, sad area. I tell you, that's, I had eternal patience for people who were violent. It was a violent ward. And the reason I just never ran out of patience, guys would come and try to attack you. And people used to say, man, you're good at your job. I said, well, you know what? I, I just feel. I feel for these guys. Would you like to be like that? Would you like to be like this? And you know why I feel for them? Because someone who's mentally handicapped as opposed to mentally ill doesn't often know what's wrong. They don't know what they're missing. But someone who's mentally ill... They know that so much is missing in their lives and they suffer additional emotional stress and strain. And that's why I have an extra sympathy in that department. Feel so sorry for them. And I've seen some things in, in, in another page. I can't remember which one. Turn to page six. It talks about supernatural strength. And that's absolutely true. It would take many of us to hold one guy or girl down. Maybe six, seven men. It would take to restrain one person. Now, you, and that's not normal. 
And of course, that's all the way through the Bible, isn't it? There's several instances where there were demons with supernatural strength, and I've seen it firsthand many, many, many times over where people can just exude such enormous strength. I mean, definitely because of demonic intervention in their lives. Page 6 talks about the areas of your life where the demons can oppress. And I won't get into oppression or possession this morning, but you are body, soul, and spirit. And it's typically the soul. Of course, a demon can afflict your body with spirits of infirmity and things like that. But typically, it's the soul realm, your mind, your will, and your emotions that get affected. Page 7 that's a very interesting page. I'm not going to go into it because we don't have time. But it's an interesting page, this one. It talks about the ways in which Christians, if they don't walk right, can end up coming under bad influences, bad spiritual influences in their lives and gives you some very good advice. I'd advise the cell leaders, that's a good page for you to look at on Tuesday, Wednesday. Page 8 talks about that highway, that straight road that God leads us on when we obey Him and then the Roman numeral 4 talks about the causes for possession that uh, sin in a Christian's life, obviously, voluntarily entering into sin can be a, can be a doorway to, pos- to possession or oppression. And of course, the hereditary thing that we looked at a, a, f- a few weeks ago, at the bottom of that page, it just talks about how the different manifestations come and go. Page 9 talks about means of deliverance methods of deliverance. Now, we do deliverance here every Sunday, (laughs) whether you're aware of it or not. You see, folks, look, if I've got a bucket full of dirty water, I can take the bucket and I can throw it out, right? That's deliverance of one sort. But another way, and in my opinion, a better way, and a way that I prefer, is if I go to that bucket of dirty water and I pour in clean. If I keep on pouring in clean, eventually the whole bucket will be clean. And every Sunday, we don't have to call you up here and drive that demon out. To be honest, I would rather put things in you every week, build up your knowledge of God's Word. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus drove the demon out quickly, he would turn to the person and say, careful, careful because I just did that. Be careful. You don't end up seven times worse. But when a person through diligence and receiving the word grows in faith and they displace, so you've got deliverance and you've got displacement of the devil's influence in your life. I much prefer that so that every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Friday, you are consciously building up your spirit and letting God control your soul in a way that I think you can keep, you can hang on to. Page 10. Three different areas there about balance in the Christian life in terms of the the area of demons and deliverance and and all that. Don't go to extremes. Understand your human frailty, etc. I better get moving. Page 11. (laughs) Talks about different manifestations that you can have. Numbness, rigidity, the eyeballs can roll in your head. Sound familiar? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> we had this guy, listen to this. Had this guy, which country? I can't remember which country it was. He was an African, came in and joined the church. And he was a very nice little fella. Um, but <laughs> he had been the assistant to a so-called apostle. 
There's a lot of false apostles in Africa, isn't there? Crackpots, cults. And this particular guy, he had assisted him. Listen to this. This guy started charging for miracles. The apostle. If you, if you want this, you have to pay. You know, a broken leg, it's, you know, whatever, and such and such. And when he started doing that, you know, things went wrong. But Nimi got frightened. That was the, the guy I knew. That was his name, Nimi. And he said, one day, listen to this. Thousands of people followed this guy because there were signs and wonders. The guy's standing preaching in the pulpit one day. Listen, he's standing preaching. You know what happened? His head, bang, and he dropped dead in front of the whole crowd. Whoa, you better watch your God. God struck him dead publicly in one of his own, in a huge crowd in front of him. And Nimi was saying that this happened and that happened. Well, the guy, the apostle fella, his leg was rotten. But no one knew it. He used to cover it up with bad. It was stinking rotten. But he used to hide it. But Nimi, behind closed doors, used to wash his leg down. And he said it was reeking, stinking. Some of these guys give a part of their body to the devil to receive power, you know. And he said it was thinking, but Nimi came, he was away from it all, and he thought he was free from it all, but he would sit in our church, listen to this, he would sit in our church, and all of a sudden, it was like his leg would catch fire. Ah, oh, oh, oh! Now I know him, and I trusted him, he wasn't an idiot, and he wasn't a crackpot. That thing would just grip him, that spirit, because he'd been touching it and rubbing it down, it was in him. And he's, he was, as I say, he's a very nice, very genuine little guy, and we prayed for him. There was another spirit he had. He's heavy stuff this morning, isn't it? Are you going to sleep tonight? <laughs> he used to do speed writing. Did you ever see that? He used to grab pieces of paper and write like fury. Didn't make any sense, you know. Looked a bit like my writing. Write like crazy. But I thank God, you know, after I don't know how long it was, probably about six months or so, he got free of it all. They got free of everything. And he's a very, very genuine and very nice person. But manifestations, demonic manifestations, can come in many ways, shapes, and forms. Very often people are sick. You'll see that in Scripture. They can fall sick. They can roll around on the ground. They can tear their clothes off. Myself and Jeanette went to see a certain person. Uh, is an, actually an Indian lady. And they couldn't deliver this lady. And they asked her to go to the home. I tell you, she was a real gentle lady. Hello, how are you? Come on in. And so we go in and say, she seems lovely. I say, and the, the mother was there and she said, you'll need to take her in the room. I said, okay, do you want to come with me? Here we go. I thought, this is going to be fun. Close the door. Wah! She went ballistic. Started tearing her clothes off and we were stuck in there. I said, mother, get in here. Get out of her in Jesus' name. Well, manifestations. Manifestations comes in all shapes and sizes, all forms. And there's actually quite an exhaustive list there. Page 12 at the bottom of it. Page 12, at the bottom of page 12, talks about different types of manifestation. Crying, screaming, sighing, roaring, belching. Anybody burp? <laughs> Any burpers here? Belchers, yawning. Of course, these are not... If you burp, it doesn't mean you've got a demon. Turn to the person beside you and ask them, do they burp? <laughs> if you cry, scream, sigh, roar, belch, yawn, it doesn't mean you've got a demon. But very often they do 
manifest in, 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 in many different ways. Bad language is another one. We had to get, well, they had one instance of that with one person who couldn't stop swearing all the time. Page 13. Now you get to the good bit. That Christ has delivered us from all of these things. Amen? That in Jesus Christ, he has dealt with all of that. Every manifestation, every curse can be broken because of the cross. You have no need to fear. Absolutely none. Rather, put your faith in God. Put your faith in the blood of the cross, in the blood of the Lamb that the devil hates. We're going to have communion tonight. Amen? Put your faith in God. Put your faith in his finished work. And it talks there about page 14. It talks about the different ways in which you can receive deliverance and walk in deliverance all the days of your life. Through prayer and fasting. By putting on the full armor of God. And I love that, you know. I absolutely love it. The, 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 the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And you can go through in Ephesians 6 where it goes through all of those things. You know, Jeanette particularly goes on and on and on about the armor of God. She does it every day. But one day when she said, when you said that to me one day, I heard it. I heard it spiritually. Oh, and God revealed that to me about the importance of it and why it was that you do need to have that helmet. And of course you can say, well, I put my armor on yesterday, but that's a lazy attitude because the devil's up early every morning. And you need to be too. By putting the helmet on your head, you're securing your salvation. You're protecting your mind. You're intentionally being aggressive against the devil. You're taking up the shield and making, this will be my choice. I will not ponder on negative thinking. Rather, I will draw the sword and I will declare what God has said. Amen. I will use the faith that God has given me to defend myself, to put back the fiery darts of the devil. Take up, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground in the day of battle. Where is it in Proverbs? It says this, terrible line. God says, even though I gave them a sword, they didn't use it. And so, it says, and so they were defeated in the day of their battle. God, Jesus. God, let that never be said of you. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team back. Just bow your heads one moment and let's just take a, 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 a moment to pray. I know that's heavy stuff, but that, the book of Judges is very heavy stuff. Just bow your heads one moment and stay focused on what we're doing. Lord, these are, are, are deep and in many ways disturbing things. But as we read the scriptures, that's also deep and often very disturbing to see what would happen when Jesus entered a town? The manifestations, the freedoms, the deliverances. That was a normal day for you, Lord. And I pray that you will come into this place this morning and by sheer displacement, by filling us up with the word of God and making us wise about the schemes of the devil, that we would be so f full of clean water that the devil would have no place to hang his hat in our lives. I just give you a few moments of peace and silence here to make your peace with God and to invite the Holy Spirit, the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit to fill your spirit.
once again.